Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Pulpit podcast. I'm Senior Pastor George Strunk. In this episode, we wrap up our conversation with Rev. Tom Grebe, Linda King, and Dr. Gene Hawkshurst regarding the special session of the General Conference in 2019. We consider the implications for each plan as currently written and hear final thoughts from our delegates. Let's get started. Let's talk about the implications, not for us personally, but for the churches in general. Um, three plans, we've agreed that um, uh, one church plan, connectional conference plan, traditionalist plan, um, may not emerge in their final form the way we see them now. But each has implications, and we've alluded to this before, but I want to be specific about it. Say something about the goals of each of those proposals, about what they're trying to achieve, for clarity's sake. What's the one church plan trying to achieve, Jane? I think the main point of the one church plan is the unity of the body of Christ, to have unity and integrity, um, unity and the living out of conviction in the same church. I think that's the main point of the one church plan. What do you think the goal of the traditionalist plan is, Linda? Uh, the traditionalist plan uh, is to uh, for the church to remain the way it is, but for the laws and the way our church speaks in our discipline right now, that uh, at times uh, clergy or churches have not completely gone by the discipline, and under this new law, uh, this if we would take the traditionalists, help me if I'm wrong, uh, everything would be if if you break one of our what's in the discipline, you could you'll lose your uh, that ministers would you lose their uh, what's my word credentials credentials mm-hmm. uh, a bishop lose his credentials. Or hers. Or hers, either one. Uh, In other words, uh, our church law would not only be in our discipline, but we would all go go by it. No excuses. No excuses. What's the goal of the Connectional Conference Plan? I think it recognizes uh, that we are not of one mind on the the issues at hand and makes... uh, an effort at trying to formalize how that could be lived out. What are the implications if some form of the one church plan passed? What difference does that make to our annual conference? What would happen differently? I think it would... um, would would cause... um, Individual pastors, local churches, if not the annual conference itself, to uh, make some decisions around formally around uh, how we um, are with and minister uh, with persons, how we are in ministry together with uh, persons who are homosexual. Uh, those decisions, in effect, will be driven to a personal and a local level, if not an annual conference level. 
around ordination, around, uh, around uh, marriage per se. Who makes a decision about whether a same-sex person would be ordained? The annual conference. And so the board of ministry of the annual conference yeah, would... The executive make, session. Executive the session. Board, board of ministry, I think, would grapple with that um, and would bring that to the executive session. I, I think how, that, that those would be the processes. And then the conference would... Well, the executive session... Would, would decide would, about the ordination. Yep. Clarify the executive yeah, session. Yeah, sure. The executive is session is uh, the, the body of, uh, of, of clergy. Mm-hmm. And there are some lay representation from the Board of Ordained Ministry. But, but primarily, if not exclusively, it's, uh, it's, it's the clergy of the annual conference. Mm-hmm. Who, who makes a decision about whether someone can be married in the United Methodist Church? Is that in the one way you're talking? In the one church plan, who would now make the decision? The local church, and would, the pastor, and the pastor, and the pastor, and, and yes. that's fuzzy mm-hmm. because they've got to be on the same they page, do. don't they? And over time, the mm-hmm. potential of pastor and church to be um, not on the same page is real. You know, it could out of the out of the gate. You would think. Both would be, but as the point of system, you know, as, as we itinerate, uh, the, the potential for pastor and local church to uh, to not be on the same page would be real, mm-hmm. I would think, over time. In, but example, it's still, it might still work, excuse me, if, if a pastor decided they would perform these marriages, not necessarily in that sanctuary, but someplace else that, they would still have that freedom, so they could still minister in a church that had one belief on that and them another. But it, I mean, it could work. So it's possible that uh, the church could decide we don't want anything done in our sanctuary, but the pastor could decide I will marry the, these persons. Is that what you're saying? That's what I. That's what I think could happen. That's that's what the church. If I understand rightly, that's what the church would decide. Is is what would be what would be enacted, what would be performed uh, in the sanctuary or at the at the the church? Mm-hmm. And for those that did not agree with the one church plan, what happens? I hope there's strong enough United Methodists like the first United Methodist Church that I joined. That however we vote, we're going to come together to work to. Make it work. That's my prayer. And so in my conversation, I've mentioned the clergy making a decision, the church making a decision, even annual conference making a decision. All along, there will be lay people, persons in the pew that will make the decision as well. And uh, their voice will be heard. Maybe even their vote, vote would, be, would be cast. But in the end, they'll have a decision whether they would want to remain united uh, and related to the United Methodist Church. That sort of thing or is going on all the time. Congregation. Please. Mm-hmm. Or that particular or congregation. Or that particular congregation. That's a, a good right. point. The hope for, yeah. in the One Church Plan is that that it's, that it's we remain a, a big enough umbrella that there could be those kind of disagreements. Peace of migration, mm-hmm. which goes on anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, this, is, this, this is happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just becomes more pronounced 
maybe more formal, a bit more official. But it's, it's happening in our midst right now. Traditionalist plan. What changes? I think there'll be a heavy-handedness to our church that we have not uh, experienced heretofore. What remains the same is essentially what's in the discipline now, save for the fact that I think some of the processes uh, of due process for clergy uh, and even for, for Episcopal leaders will be strengthened to where there's, you know, uh, you know that not only that accountability, but, but there would, you know, those that choose to, to not hold in the discipline would, would have, uh, they would, there would be that high potential of them losing credentials through, through due process. Right. I think um, everything stays the same in the discipline, which makes it the easiest plan in that way. Um, But the word that's used in the plan is certification. So clergy would have to certify, bishops would have to certify that they would follow what what the book of discipline says. And if clergy in good conscience couldn't do that, they would be invited to leave the denomination. But but I would say parenthetically, and to the point, is that that's essentially what all clergy do when when they're ordained. That's a a question that is asked directly of all. We uphold the the order of the church. We understand that most clearly through the book of discipline. But the the, the, the difference is that the processes will be, um, I guess, clear. For those that exit, are there consequences? What do you mean? Um, the, the superintendent's statement yesterday referred to the fact that uh, there would be a process for exiting, but the trust clause would probably be held in place and there would be pension consequences for clergy that might choose to exit under certain plans. I I wouldn't say that the consequences of... I wouldn't say... I wouldn't use the term pension consequences. I, I, I made a statement yesterday at our delegation meeting that decisions don't need to be made one way or the other based on pension. I think our... Our, our pension board, Westpath, is way ahead on this. I think that, that our pension is due for an overhaul uh, anyway, regardless of this. Uh, so, um, you, know, I, I, the, you know, monies that are contributed toward pension will, in, in my opinion, will be transferable. Um, you, know, they're, they're, you know, it, it just—pension is not a reason to vote one way or the other. I think that will be, those processes will be worked out in a fair and just way. Well, I appreciate hearing that. The the statement that was released yesterday said congregations have much to consider before deciding to leave the denomination. They should be mindful that there will be legal and financial implications when leaving the denomination. Also, if their pastor decides to leave the denomination, there will be pension implications and may have credentialing consequences. Could, could have credentialing uh, considerations. Uh, there'll be pension considerations, but... but what, are, what are those? Because uh, some have already asked me that question, well, if it, particularly younger clergy. I, 
I think if we surrender our credentials, in other words, it's if we give up our United Methodist ordination, we effectively take ourselves out of the pension plan. But that wouldn't affect the pension we've earned until yes. that point. Uh, it, our, our pension is going to move over time to, to, to strictly defined contribution, uh, which effectively would, would function as a 401k. Um, so you can take that just as a person would be at XYZ business or corporation and moves to another business or corporation. You can take that and, and roll it over. I'm no expert in that, but again, I, I think you'll be able to carry um, that uh, uh, th- those monies with you. You know, that, I, I don't see that being taken f- from from individuals. Um, and is the same thing true for the part of our pension that is uh, defined benefit? That's going to be worked out. But uh, my my opinion is that there will be. Um, some, uh, some, some strict actuarial work done on that to where even that will not be a lost issue. The, the defined benefit part of it has been uh, relatively short-lived. It's been like the last decade or so. Uh, so it is, uh, and you know, I, again, I think work is being done on that. Um, I think that, that uh, well, related to that, you know, the exit of a church, and I'm not sure how the conference will come out on the trust clause. I don't think that we can predict that. It, it could be that that could be relaxed or even done away with. It may not be. It's and for those that may not understand trust clause. You bet. Well, trust clause is basically every uh, church property, every United Methodist, properties of United Methodist institutions are held in trust on behalf of the annual conference. So unlike other, uh, other churches, uh, other denominations, churches uh, hold their properties. Uh, the, our properties are held in trust on behalf of the uh, annual conference so that if the church should cease to exist, at, at some time, then those properties then uh, would would become the, the under the ownership of the uh, uh, of the annual conference. So the the trust clause uh, is historic. You know, it's a it's a Wesley thing. You know, and uh, there are specific reasons for that. How that will be adjudicated at general conference remains to be seen. I could see it going both ways. I will say that some of the things that are taking place now and, and that I, I think even uh, in the support of, um, of West Path is that as churches leave, that they will at least be responsible for the unfunded liability that the denomination has as a whole for the uh, defined benefit piece of, the, uh, of, of our pension. And again, that's a fairly short-lived Peace. It's been within the last ten years. Um, and Westpath is the is name of the organization that, that handles the pensions our pension. for yeah. clergy persons and lay employees of the conference. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Those who participate. Um, so that unfunded liability, and it and it could be that conferences would also for those conferences that have unfunded liability, um, the the church would be asked to contribute their share of that. Now, that's irrespective of what happens to the trust clause. Now, all that being said, 
in the Kentucky Interconference, we do not have unfunded liability. But we do share in the unfunded liability of the defined benefit portion, as I understand it. So help me understand the Connectional Conference plan. Would, If that were to pass, Gene, Christ Church would choose a particular theological conference, not a geographical conference that we might be a part of? That is my understanding, but step back one, because I believe that the, the decision is first made on a jurisdictional level in ah. that case, right? Is that is that your understanding, Tom and Linda, that, that, um, that there would not need to be, um, the, the, it's called the Connectional Conference Plan. Jurisdictions would disappear and they would become connectional conferences, if that makes sense. So there would be, we think, three three connectional conferences across the United States. So um, one connectional conference could be, and there may be more, but one could be those who want to be traditionalist. And you could have a traditionalist church pastor um, group in California and one in Mississippi and one in Michigan. They would be a connectional conference themselves. Then there would be um, what's being loosely called the Unity Connectional Conference, and that would be all the compatibilists, as, as Tom said earlier, all the people who want to be in unity in the with United Methodists, right? No <laughs> matter whether they heart. agree yeah. theologically with them or not. So, so you could have um, this Unity Connectional Conference uh, again in Florida, in Nevada. It could be all across the United States, and the same for those persons who wanted to to take um, a progressive point of view only, and and those churches and those pastors would be required to ordain and marry gay persons. Um, so those would be the, the kind of the three outline choices that are so far out there. Saying that, um, that could change um, before we get to general conference. Mm-hmm. So, and, and to your point, George, that uh, uh, of, of all the, the, the plans that are, that are proposed, this one has a longer rollout time. So in other words, there's, there's a longer time for, in effect, for the dust to settle, if you will. So you're, to, to your point of would Christ Church decide, uh, you know, the, the, the answer would be yes. Would that happen right out of the gate? Could be. Would it happen down the line? That could be as well. Or, But I think Gene is right about the... Uh, the, the, the initial uh, piece of this would would be jurisdictional, but but I, uh, but we need to. And I think they're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. But I think that that's yeah. and that if the whole jurisdiction decided to be a per, in a particular conference, then no votes would have to be taken. Yeah. But if your annual conference disagreed with that, then a vote could be taken to yeah. pull out of out of a particular okay. one. So to add a uh, or a church a, could. Right, right, right. I had an editorial note to that. The, that plan uh, offers the potential for the most confusion. For that people seems who, clear to me. For, yeah, <laughs> for people who are methodical and ordered, it, it offers tremendous confusion. 
And yeah, there was constitutional amendments, notwithstanding constitutional wise and financial wise. Yeah. There's just yeah. a lot to. Yeah. Uh, but and it, and, you know, again, as we said earlier at, at another point in our conversation, all of this rests with the judicial council, and there was some degree of uh, of unanimity around the fact that our delegation that that the um, connectional conference plan. Won't even hit the light of day. <laughs> but I don't think we should completely dismiss it. Yeah. Because we could get to general conference and we could be so polarized between the traditionalist plan and the one church plan that in order to compromise, we're like, okay, let's give this connectional conferences plan a try just try to, to compromise with each other. So to, I don't think we should completely yeah. As I said earlier, throw it try out. to formalize and rec- rec- we're, we're going to formalize the fact that we're recognizing that we're uh-huh. that we're not of the same mind. Mm-hmm. The judicial right. council right. will be at general conference, and anything that needs to be judged or questioned, etc., by them, yeah. they will go to work. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes, but the practicality of that is we're there three days. Yeah, it's, that's we're our there trouble. three days, and and so. The, the prospect of, of that sort of deliberation could happen and, and very well might happen. But, but even what is – it's not like we're going to walk in the first hour and decide. No. <laughs> and then, okay, we'll give this to the judicial counsel. So the, the reality is that there will be continued um, – uh, you know, there will be things before even the judicial counsel. And I also think, you know, we're looking at 19 in February – uh, then delegations will begin to be elected for the 2020 general conference. Uh, there's just no doubt that between that year and a half, between the February of 19, what I guess will be May of 20, you know, there'll, there'll be work that'll be done at that general conference as well. I, I just don't see how it could be otherwise. In any case, probably. Mm-hmm. Any of the plans, probably. Yeah. They'll need yeah. to be detailed stuff. I appreciate y'all playing the if-then speculation game with me, but I think we probably need to caution persons. We don't know what's going what's gonna to happen, so all this can be moot. So please, in yes. listening to this, don't react to any of these plans or anything said. We're just trying to educate as best we know based on what we have, but it's very incomplete information. Yeah, and that is absolutely the case. Yeah. So... Here's a question for you guys, a couple of questions that take us to a deeper level again. I posted a question on Facebook asking for advice. What questions would you like to ask the delegation if you had the chance? And what I learned was I got more statements about their opinions about this issue than questions they really wanted to ask, which I guess really didn't surprise me in retrospect. But from that, I learned some things, and I think this is what I hear people asking, and I'd like to pose the questions to you. And the first is, do you believe that God can call and or use someone who is homosexual? I think God already is. God calls all souls, I feel. Who am I to say what God can do? It's a question that was asked of me of a young clergy preparing for ministry. I can't take credit for that question. He says, we've got 
the wrong question about whether persons should be ordained. The question is, do you believe that God can call and use persons who are homosexual? And I guess one of the things that I've had to wrestle with is I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. So what do I do with that theologically, and how do I integrate that into the practices of the church? Here's the second question I think that people were asking, sometimes with their statements on either side or the other. How should the church go about loving persons who identify as LGBTQ? The same way the church loves and identifies cis persons or anybody. We're called to love, period. Yeah, be in relationship. You know, a lot of our discussion here... Uh, as we've uh, shared together, has, has been about people. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and all of us have names and faces that are before us, and circumstances, experiences that we shared. But um, you know, when we when we talk about love, and not just to use that as a default, and all that sounds very good, <laughs> but but to be in relationship with. Anybody else? In, in my heart, uh, as a child, I was taught that uh, God loves me and he loves everybody. And uh, I'm called to do that, too. I really appreciate your all's time in talking about these issues with me and your candor and your honesty and your sincerity. Uh, and your risk-taking in doing this. Uh, is there anything else that you think our listeners might need to know or want to know that we have not talked about? Well, I think a, to have an appreciation uh, for the delegation, <laughs> um, not to say, hey, way to go or whatever, but to, to just realize that an appreciation for the fact that uh, we all come at this, um, one, sincerely, uh, two, with a very degree of experience and understanding that, that there is a, a diversity to that, to that body. Uh, I think that there's um, a willingness to, to, to be vulnerable. I, I, and I would also say that to the person willing to lay themselves before, before God. So when, when I say have an appreciation for the delegation, just a, an awareness of the fact, a, a cognizance of the fact that the, the delegation uh, is uh, taking this uh, very seriously, willing to share their own, uh, own, vulnerable, own vulnerabilities, their own experiences, and, uh, and even how, they, uh, how they're approaching Scripture. Uh, don't know why she came to my mind right now, but um, Mimi Mulvey came to my mind just now. And, and I remember Mimi from when I was at Christ Church, and um, she was an incredible Christian woman. And she went through some really difficult things, but she always had this way of living faithfully. And, and for her, that meant joyfully. And that to me was such a fruit of the spirit that she lived out as a witness to me that no matter what was going on around her, she was peaceful and joyful 
and loving. And that's what I would hope for the United Methodist Church right now. It's going to be okay. Whatever happens, it's going to be okay because God's not going anywhere. <laughs> so, um, so let's just live our faith and, and do the best we can. I hope the people that listen to this want to uh, support you as delegates, but also just as our brothers and sisters. One of the questions that I got that um, I'm not sure it was phrased the way that uh, was intended, but it said, what makes these persons feel like they're qualified to make these decisions? And I like your appreciation phrase, Tom, because I I appreciate the fact that... um, it's an humbling process that you're in. It's not something you sought, and it's a difficult process. And uh, I know that we're, we're all the same uh, in this, And but for such a time as this, you have been elected and raised to help make these decisions. So I hope all that listen to this will support you uh, with that kind of humility, understanding that uh, this is a very difficult thing, and our prayers surround each of you. Thank you. Thanks. All right, so um, thanks for this time. Now I'm going to give you a chance to talk to me personally as a representative of all the local pastors. Uh, What advice do you give to local pastors as we try to help churches navigate this process? It's a great question. Be open and honest. I think Linda has has said that a couple times. Be transparent. This is what's happening. Um, This is who we are as Christians. Uh, And... And don't be afraid to talk about it. And um, yeah, I guess that's what I would say. Talk about it. And it's all right to disagree and love. Yeah. And to listen. And uh, these pastors are called by God. So listen to God. Keep your heart open. And uh, as Jean said, it's going to be okay. Be diligent to stay informed. Good. Mm-hmm. To be uh, careful about rumor and in- innuendo. Um, Edwin Friedman talks about in his book, uh, Generation to Generation, about the importance of being a non anxious presence. It's going to be critically important for every one of us who are clergy to be a non anxious presence in the mix of uh, all that we're, uh, we're talking about here. Because if we're not, then um, those uh, with whom we serve are are not going to be either. Uh, We can lead the way in that regard at least, regardless of where we come out on things. Thank you. Uh, This is all done because all of us, in some way, were called to serve God. And I'd love to close this with prayer for you guys and for our church, if you'd join me. Gracious God, help us in these circumstances as in all circumstances to learn to trust you and to believe in you and to have confidence that you do have this process and you will guide it. You will help us through it. Thank you for the church that we love so much, but remind each of us and those that listen that as much as we love the church, you love her even more. You gave your own son and gave birth to the church that we might be your body in the world. So would you bless us to do that above all else? Remind us that our ways are not as your ways and continue to guide each of us in that process. Would you bless 
Tom, would you bless Linda, and would you bless Jean as they go about this work? Would you remind them that our prayers are with them, our love is with them? And would you bless every church and every pastor that tries to deal with this issue to keep them informed, to make us diligent in prayer? Yes. And to increase in us that faith until that one day we see you face to face. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to again thank Tom, Linda, and Jean for joining me in this important conversation. I hope it leaves all who are listening better informed and invite you to keep Linda, Jean, and Tom, and all the delegates in your prayers in the coming months. For more information, check the notes for this podcast. God bless you. Thank you.